Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The primary work of Jesus Christ was to bring back together the things which sin separates. The primary work of Jesus is to bring us back to the Father, our Creator, and to bring us back together with other people. While we also know that the primary goal of the devil is to divide us from God and us from other people. Last week, we opened up the Bible to the book of Ephesians under a new sermon series entitled, One in Christ. Because it's no doubt in anybody's minds that we are living in a contentious time filled with division and judgment and downright dislike of other people for very petty and trivial reasons. This is not good. I think you know that. Those of you who are married, you know that in your marriage there are issues that you deal with. Sometimes those of you that have been married a while know that some of those issues that you deal with are maybe unsolvable just because that's the way that you are and that's the way your relationship is. So in a healthy marriage, you just learn to, well, deal with those issues for what they are yet still remain united as one. I brought a couple of props today, a couple, a couple of examples. I mean, in some of your households, some of your marriages, you have debates about this thing. Some of you believe that the toilet paper should roll this way, and some of you believe it should roll this way. And so some of you sneak back and forth in your house, flipping the toilet paper roll back and forth and back and forth, day after day, year after year, just because that's what you do. In some of your marriages, uh, this is just a nice piece of decor that hangs on the wall, and that's all that it is, a nice piece of decor, while the other spouse actually looks at the hands of time in order to manage your schedules and get you places when you're supposed to be there. Oh, some of you, some of you use this laundry basket to carry your clean clothes from the dryer to the dresser and you actually take them out of the laundry basket and put them in the drawers of the dresser while the other spouse believes that this just is the dresser. Wait a second, is that my sock? I've been looking for this. Sorry, I'll put this somewhere else. You know what it's like, right, to have these issues in your marriages that could potentially and maybe at times be contentious matters. However, in healthy marriages, the unity in the relationship is much more important than the issue. When I was in the seminary, we, I, I, I took a couple of classes on marriage and family counseling, 
And we read a few books by a guy named John Gottman, who is well known as being kind of one of the most prolific marriage researchers. John Gottman has an apartment, uh, which is a research apartment, where he invites married couples to come and be observed for a weekend by researchers. I know it sounds a little bit creepy, however... They are well-willing participants, and they've found some very interesting information in this marital research. And what I want to share with you today, I believe, impacts marriages for sure, but is also applicable to all relationships that we have here on earth. And what I want to share with you, Gottman calls the four deadly horsemen of the apocalypse. Or in maybe not so dramatic terms, Uh, These are the four really big red flags that if uh, left untreated and they just go on and on, will cause marital failure and collapse. And they are this, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. I share these with you today, not because it only applies to marriages, which it does, and it can lead to the breakdown in marriages if left untreated, but will also lead to the breakdown of all relationships if this is how we respond to conflict. Let me take these one at a time, and I'll try to do it briefly. Criticism. Criticism is different than a complaint. A complaint simply deals with the issue at hand, while criticism draws in the negative characteristics about the other person. Let's take that laundry basket, for example. A complaint would be, I'm angry with you right now because we made a mutual agreement that we would do our best to put away our clean clothes. That's a complaint. A criticism says something like this. Why are you so neglectful? You can't put clothes away? What are you, just a slob? To turn any complaint into a criticism, all you really have to do is add on the words, what's wrong with you, to any complaint. The next of the deadly horsemen is called contempt. Contempt is criticism that's been amplified even more. Because not only does contempt draw on the negative characteristics of another person, but so much so that it actually leads you into a place of disgust towards the other person. So, for example, a spouse could say in this laundry basket example, maybe we should hang a list of our chores on the refrigerator, things that we agree upon so that we can Remember to look at these things and and do our best to hold each other accountable. Isn't that a good idea? The other spouse in contempt might respond like this. Well, you think that would work? Well, aren't you, Mr. Clean? I can't believe that you think a list is going to solve all of your problems. What a dumb idea. Contempt can come in the form of name-calling, eye-rolling, mocking, sarcasm, hostile humor, and contempt is the most poisonous in a marital relationship because it's nearly impossible to solve the issue at hand 
when you have disgust for the other person. The last two, defensiveness. Defensiveness is when instead of listening to a complaint and receiving it for what it is and responding and taking some ownership even over part of the conflict, it's when you just throw up the defensive wall and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you protect yourself, which is really just an underhanded way of blaming the other person. And the last is stonewalling, which can be another term for the silent treatment. For example, this classic example comes to mind where a man comes home from work only to be barraged by his wife who is upset with him that he never puts his clothes away in the dresser. And in order to not deal with that, he pulls up the newspaper and sits in his recliner while she continues to criticize him and to be very upset with him. And then he puts the newspaper down, walks out of the room without making eye contact, goes into the garage and slams the door. That's stonewalling. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, they don't come in any particular order in a marriage. It's not one coming after the other. It's more like a nasty relay race where the baton is passed from one to the other, and if left untreated, divisiveness comes, and spouses turn away from one another and start walking in opposite directions. Turning away from one another in a conflict is not good. What is good, as Gottman and other researchers indicate, and as you probably know from practice, turning away is not good. Turning towards one another is good. And those couples that stay turned towards one another and keep the unity of their marriage primary are the ones who stay together. Jesus says, the two shall become one flesh. Maybe you had that spoken at your wedding or weddings you've been to. The two shall become one flesh. And when you hear that, sometimes we think, well, marriage is just a great compromise. It's a, a merger of two lives. It's an acquisition. No, no, no. When Jesus says the two shall become one, it is a new oneness, a new mystical union. Something different than two, it is now one. And in that one, in that marriage, the unity is what is primary. The issues are just issues that are dealt with in the midst of the unity. The issues do not become the other person's identity. We don't make character assumptions about the other based on the issue. And honestly, the same ought to go for every single relationship we have on this earth as Christian people. This brings us to Ephesians chapter 2 today, where the Apostle Paul is addressing a divided church. He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles who historically have had a big division between them. Here's the deal. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. There was a physical distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Circumcision. The Jews are circumcised, the Gentiles were not. And so historically, the Jews would say to the Gentiles and name call them with a great deal of contempt, 
You're the uncircumcised. And honestly, this became a big division, not just in the church, but in society as well. There was not much interaction between the two. So in this new Christian church, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. In Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are one. There there is no more Jew or Gentile as two separate people groups. We are a new one body in Jesus Christ. Just like that marriage becomes one, Paul is saying, so we too are one, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul is essentially saying to these to this Christian church, hey guys, guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what history says about who, your, uh, who, who you are, what your identity is rooted in. Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. You are no longer two separate people groups, but you are one, one body, one family, one church in Jesus Christ. Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What a graphic description that is that Paul says. He tore down the the dividing wall of hostility. There's often a dividing wall of hostility between people. You could probably name a whole bunch of them that are prevalent in our society right now that sometimes even find their way sneaking themselves into the church because we're made up of sinful people. There are so many dividing walls of hostility that are being constructed. Too much contempt, too much hatred, division, judgment. You see it, how many political flyers have you gotten in your mail recently? How many text messages from politicians or phone messages or political ads, never speaking well of the other, only poorly. And the other simply defending themselves to the hilt. (laughs) Think about those four deadly horsemen of the apocalypse in a marriage. This is what is existing in our landscape right now. Just character judgments, character assassinations. But Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. We build it. Jesus tears it down. And it is only Jesus who has the capacity to tear it down. It is only Jesus who can create a oneness between divided parties. We're not capable of it. We're not. Not on our own. We're too quick to criticize, too quick to contempt, too quick to defensiveness, too quick to stonewall, too quick to build up walls of hostility. If we, as the people of God, living in this world with one another and with other people, if we want to stay turned towards one another, then it begins with us coming in true humility before Jesus and admitting, Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have all the answers. I readily admit that. Jesus, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. And I'll even go so far as to admit that that I might not always be right. (laughs) But Jesus, in the places that I am, 
correct according to your will? Let me lead others in love. And Jesus, in the places that I'm wrong and, I, and I'm working against your will, give me the humility to confess those sins and to return to you. Where I am wrong, correct my ways. Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility, and in Jesus there is peace. Peace. In in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, the word peace is mentioned four times in three verses. Peace. 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 In Jesus there is peace. How? Through his cross alone. I want you to look at the cross. The cross is the centrality of where we exist as Christian people. Christ himself is peace. And, and in Jesus, he tore down this wall of hostility. And when we hear that Jesus tore down the wall of hostility, he had two purposes in doing that. And the cross can serve as an image for us to remember what Jesus has done. First of all, the first purpose that Jesus had in tearing down this wall of hostility is to bring back together in one body, Jew and Gentile, you and me, into this one body of Jesus Christ. This could be represented for you in that horizontal beam in the cross. People being united at the cross. And the second purpose was for Jesus to come and tear down the wall of hostility that exists between us and our perfect Father in heaven. And this can be represented to you in the vertical beam of the cross. So you and I as Christians live right there at the crux of the cross, living in the crosshairs of the cross, with Jesus taking his aim at your life and at mine and at the church to keep us united at the cross. Because this is where all things come together in heaven and on earth. Unity exists, one in Christ, us to God and us with others. We, as the church, the body of Christ, we are one. One new body, one new creation, one new people in Christ. We're no longer strangers, but we live in the same household. And our house is being built on the foundation of Christ's teaching, the foundation of the scriptures on which Jesus Christ himself is our cornerstone. And the cornerstone is an important part of a building, especially throughout history, because the cornerstone was the one that was laid first and the building was lined up off of it. We have a cornerstone here at our church from our old church in Hancock. This church, Saints Peter and Paul, has been through a lot together. And that's an understatement. The people who founded this church were likely gathering together as Christian people as the American Civil War was coming to an end. Imagine that. At the turn of the century, uh, the one before, the 20th century, they, they would have been going through coming out of World War I, well, dealing with World War I, and coming out of World War I, being a German-speaking church, 
those German Lutherans would have faced backlash and probably even persecution from local populations. Around that same time, at the conclusion of World War I, the members of this church would have been dealing, like everybody else in this country, with the Spanish flu. The people of this church, St. Peter and Paul, have been through the Great Depression, through World War II, through all kinds of wars and civil conflicts and economic rises and falls and presidential elections and diseases and death and calamity, but also incredible joy and heights and wonderful gifts from God. And this church today in 2020 still stands as strong as it has ever stood. How is that? Because the cornerstone is strong. Not really this one. This isn't very structurally sound. But our true cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is strong and sure and not going anywhere. And so long as our lives and our church are lined up off of his life, death, and resurrection, we're not going anywhere. We will be one, one in Christ. I tell you all of this today. The, the threats to relationships, marriages, families, the church, society, I, I tell you this. I, I remind you of the history of this church, all for the purpose of keeping your perspective and your vision on where it ought to be and not becoming distracted by the issues of the day. The devil wants us to believe that what we're dealing with today are the biggest issues that the world has ever dealt with. That's just a lie. It is a lie. Jesus Christ rules and reigns. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is ruling and reigning right now. He is Lord over your life and Lord over this church. He is the head of this body. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Him. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Him. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Him as we step forward and continue moving forward as the church living in this world, doing it as one in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.